How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. I don't have to tell you that things are bad when it comes to hacking, privacy concerns, ransomware, out-of-control information technology spending, rising percentage of budgets dedicated to the status quo in all forms of the business, worldwide competition, and that continuous change in the digital world is now the norm. But we're becoming numb to these situations, and the, the media is ignoring most of this. They're too busy with political nonsense. As of this day, as an example, the city of Baltimore is still out of business. Yes, out of business for three weeks and counting. Their computer systems are being held for ransomware. The penalty was about $23,000. It was raised to $100,000 to whoever this hacker was. And now, in addition to that, $10,000 a day in fees, essentially, are being assessed. I don't even know what to call it in this world that's there. Please make sure we understand. I'm not suggesting that the hackers get paid. I'm not sure exactly what to do at this point. But please remember what I just said. The city of Baltimore is essentially being held hostage. Where's the media? Where's the outrage? And of course, where's the analysis? Does anyone think that Baltimore is the only one out there with this vulnerability? Everybody knows these are the situations. It's very depressing. But everybody's scared or nervous about losing their job, especially in technology as we're approaching the information age. It's the first time technologists are getting a little nervous about possibly being displaced. Or computers or robots taking people's jobs or skills being obsoleted. The United States economic viability and leadership is being questioned and frankly, for good reason. It is the digital era And change is now continuous. Change is now continuous. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window. Open it and stick your head out and yell, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Now, for some of you, That is probably a recollection of a movie from some time ago. And, of course, that movie was Network that premiered in 1976. And, of course, I've modified it a little bit. But for those of you that are interested, here is the original two paragraphs. Here's the first paragraph. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under their counter. 
second paragraph. So I want you to get up now. I want you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore. And for those of you uh, that are finicky about this and, and understand it, the phrase was not, I'm not going to take it anymore. It's, I'm not going to take this anymore. So the opening remarks here is to hopefully get an understanding that we are in, we essentially, especially the communities that we are in, are vulnerable to a lot of different things that we weren't vulnerable before because we are moving from the industrial age to the information age and we're going through the internet age. Now let me bring this a little bit closer to you. Just recently, another article that seems to be buried in the press because we're too busy about the politics going on in the universe, which are not, of course, trivial by any means, but let's take this a little bit closer to home. The title of this article is Security Gap Leaves 885 Million Mortgage Documents Exposed. Let me give you that number again. 885 million mortgage documents. Essentially, what that says is that anybody that has had a mortgage and it says here, for the last 16 years, has their most sensitive information exposed. And the company behind this mortgage debacle is First America Financial Corporation. And this is not something that was yesterday. Again, this vulnerability was, would allow anyone to gain access to Social Security numbers, bank account details, driver's license, mortgage and tax records. This is about you and I. This is the information age, not the internet age, the information age. And the techniques that are being used out there to build information systems, computer systems, are in the dark ages. They're in maturity level one, and we're going to be discussing that in just a little bit. So this is a symptom. The things that we see out there is our symptoms that were out there. Now, please remember, a little while ago, in 2017, Equifax, one of the major credit reporting agencies, had a hack, too, of 145 million consumer records, again, including Social Security numbers. Now, why is this important? What the hackers want is to get a profile of you and I. The more information sources and the various sources they can get out there will put essentially a profile of you and I together. And of course, that includes faked in, excuse me, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Google, Bing, et cetera, et cetera. I am not indicting any of those individual companies. But it's time for everyone, you and I, to wake up and hold these organizations responsible because the techniques they're using to build information systems are the underlying issue and blockchain won't fix it and cybersecurity phrases won't fix it and multi-factor authentication won't fix it. It's an underlying process. Just within two weeks ago, Google had this 
key that they were providing to people. I think it was for 30 or $40, a security fob. And within the security fob was a hacking activity. <laughs> In other words, the security device in itself could be hacked. And that's because the underlying approaches that organizations are taking to build systems are based on industrial age practices. Now, there's something that is kind of a dilemma here. Let me come back to the Equifax issue for just a moment. A study found that that credit agency was actually profiting, excuse me, credit agencies were profiting from the Equifax breach because they're charging fees to customers like you and I to freeze their credit. (laughs) So Wakefield Research found essentially that $1.4 billion in revenues were essentially derived for the credit agencies, including Equifax, because they had essentially exposed our data. So you and I are paying people to protect our data that they're supposed to have protected. Yes, it's like a circular activity, and we're vulnerable to it. So it's fascinating to see essentially what is going on. This is just one example of what we're going to get through in our broadcast today about essentially moving into the information age where continuous change is the norm. It requires a different approach essentially to this. Now coming back to Baltimore for just a moment, because what we have to recognize, ladies and gentlemen, if Baltimore is vulnerable, then virtually every other city We don't know, probably at least 51%, if you want to be conservative, are getting this, having the same issues. Now, if Baltimore pays the hackers, that's an issue because obviously all these other cities could be vulnerable or states or counties. We don't know because the vulnerability is there. Now, what happened was essentially in Baltimore, and this is, this is just a few days ago, Um, Baltimore was offered a fee of $100,000 for these hacker communities to essentially release release the computers from uh, this particular hacking. It started May 7th. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to again mention to you, May 7th, about three weeks ago where this started. How many of you have heard about this three weeks ago? And they were given until May 17th to pay $23,000. Now the number is over $100,000, and the ransom people are asking another $10,000 a day um, as long as the, the, the fee isn't there. And so you, it's really kind of you know, a dilemma. Do you reward the bank robbers for robbing the bank, essentially, that's there? Oh, boy. Tough, 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 tough issue that's there. But who's at fault? And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Who is at fault? Who is at fault? Now, you can say essentially that uh, deadline for, you know, the ransomware was the issue. Not updating the software was the issue. Um, uh, Not making sure that there was enough cyber uh, uh, activities going on, um, you know, that's there. Please remember, there's no voicemail. There's no email. There's no, no online bill payment systems. There's no parking data. There's no real estate transactions. There's no personal property taxes. It is essentially an incredible issue that's 
uh, you know, going on there. And just as a comical note, and it's not funny, uh, the city went and said, you know what we're going to do to try to get people to communicate is we're going to go to Google.com and sign up all of our staff, essentially with a Google account. And what happened was for Gmail, um, I'm chuckling. It's not funny, but it is. Uh, Gmail is looking at all this vast number of people signing up from one location, and they actually blocked it because they thought it was another group of hackers. Of course, you know, after just a little bit of time, uh, they were able to, you know, straighten that issue out, um, you know, that's there. But again, just May 23rd, Google's automated system, automated system, not human beings, uh, were perceiving that these Gmail accounts were the work of spammers <laughs> until essentially Baltimore officials uh, came and said to Google, hey, it's us. Uh, we've got an issue here. Please, uh, you know, please help us out, uh, you know, for a little bit of time. Okay, that, you know, that's there. Now, the blame game starts. The blame game starts. And if you start reading about this, the blame game, here we go. The blame game. That's what we need to do. We got we to gotta point fingers. That's going to solve the problem. And the blame game is now the NSA, the National Security Administration. Ooh, ah, they're the ones that are there. Okay, the New York Times, the gospel of everything, detailed how hackers locked up Baltimore's computer network and they relied partially on leaked NSA hacking tools, you know, that, you know, that were out there. Now, please remember the phrase leaked NSA hacking tools. That's a concern to all of us. Okay, so the NSA has hacking tools, as it says in this article, they were hacked, if you remember Edward Snowden, and that debacle from a few years ago, um, you know, there was all public information and a lot of stuff got out and we don't, we don't know exactly what it is. And I have no internal knowledge and I'm, you know, to, you know, to that in, 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 in situation, but the tool was called internal blue. Now, just for your information, same thing, San Antonio and Allentown, Pennsylvania, same type of attack. So here we are at Baltimore and the, the mayor and, and the technology experts there should have gone to San Antonio and should have gone to Allentown, Pennsylvania and said, what the heck happened here? And they should have broadcast this thing and figured out what was essentially was going on. So here we are locking up cities. Here we are, you and I, having exposed at minimum through Equifax and through the mortgage all of our information. Now, some of you out there may think, well, I don't have to worry about it. I, you know, I, I don't have anything to hide. Well, ladies and gentlemen, one day when you go to your ATM machine, your automatic teller machine, and you stick your ATM card in there and it says zero balance, you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that we are in the information age. You can be affected. I can be affected. All of us that if any electronic type of communication or transactions. And yes, I'm sitting here talking to you, and I do use the Internet, and I do use these transactions. But as we'll talk about uh, pretty soon after our first break, I try to minimize my exposure not by using um, only one activity or a minimum of activities, but making sure that, as I call it, spread it around as much as possible to make it a little bit more difficult. I'm not foolish enough 
uh, to suggest to you that I have all of the answers. I don't. And I hope no one out there thinks that I do. I do not. But I do have some logic being in this business since 1972, 1972, that there is a path, a pathway to address this. And it's not complicated, but we have to change our approach. And there's a lot of people out there that don't want to change because they have a vested interest in the status quo. And all of those people are steeped in the age that we're coming out of, which is the internet age. And that is the situation that you and I are facing. It's not big brother or big boys. It's people, people, people. And people don't want to change. And organizations have a tough time because of reskilling and the cost of reskilling and changing their infrastructures and changing their software. You can imagine what the cost is going to be. But you and I have to recognize that that cost has to be absorbed by our suppliers and not by you and I. What I'm saying is the hackers have to pay you to restore your data, not we pay them to restore the goodness that's there. We have entrusted them in this. And I know that all of us hit that I agree button when we go to an internet site and that absolves these people of responsibility. But perhaps it's time to stop talking about $6 billion fines and start putting these people in jail, figuratively or literally. And I think possibly even figuratively is not going to work. We have to get people's attention that things are changing in the information age. So with that, we're going to take a short break. And uh, we're going to come back and talk about some of the disruptive elements that are going on in the digital age and talk about essentially a way to address this. There is a script here, and it's based on hundreds of years of history. I'm Sam Holzman. You're listening to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Thank you. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back. Uh, this is Sam Holzman. Uh, we're 
listening. You're listening to the 2020s Enterprise. And uh, our first segment was a bit of a tirade, admitted so on purpose, to hopefully get people to recognize that there is a crisis on hand here. And this crisis is going to affect all of us if it has not affected you directly already. And it's because we are entering the information age and we're exiting the internet age. Digital everything is no longer a nice to have, it's an imperative. And that was the internet age. Yet most organizations are actually being inhibited in addressing these new information age realities, at least partially due to the organization technology's backbone and information technology approaches that are holdovers from previous ages. Have you asked your technology executive, if, if, if some of you are listening are managers or, and, or executives in the business area, how they plan to address orders of magnitude increases in competition, orders of magnitude increases in the speed of change, and the ease of which customers can change their loyalty? If their answer is, we will write more computer programs faster or buy more software packages, you got a problem. There is no way, there is no way business demands can be met with those types of techniques. Unfortunately, the technology hype that is being sold out there and most advice being provided is just out of date. It's protecting the status quo. And that's a natural human and business reaction, whether we like it or not. Unless there is a change agent that recognizes the world is changing out there. And that's what we have to recognize. It is the information age. And the techniques of the past are just essentially not going to work. Now, let's take a look for a moment at some of the disruptions that have occurred in the internet age and the information age. Let's start with Airbnb. I think most of you know who that is. It's a new way for you to essentially uh, rent a house or a room. And basically what Airbnb is, is an industrial, excuse me, an information age organization, doesn't own any property. It provides essentially essentially, as I love to call it, a wedding, what? A wedding gift registry. What is a wedding gift registry? It's essentially, you're going to get married to a wonderful uh, individual, and somewhere you set up a registry that says, I would like these things, and somebody says, okay, I'm going to buy you those things. Well, that's what Airbnb is. It says, I want to rent my room, and they put it out there, and you come along and say, I'd like to rent that room, and they take a piece of the action that's there. The model that I'm talking to you about is true. It's been around for a, a long, 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 long time. An organization like Alibaba, that's uh, not too common here in the U.S. to most organizations. Same type of thing. It's essentially a retailer that does what Airbnb does for merchandise, which is, by the way, a little bit different than Amazon. 
Now, Amazon started out the same way, matching buyers and sellers, but now they're also going into their own products. They're setting up brick-and-mortar stores. They're also looking, essentially, at different distribution models that are out there. Now, by the way, and this is not a statement about Amazon's strategy, but we've been there before, ladies and gentlemen, what Amazon has done. And that company that is very, very similar to what Amazon is doing right now, believe it or not, is Sears, Roebuck, and Company. Let's take a look at that for a moment. When Sears first started, they were the Amazon at that particular time. Now, there was no internet. What they had was a massive catalog. And you could buy anything. (laughs) Buy anything uh, that's there. You could even buy a craftsman home so to speak, and this kit would appear and you could essentially have Craftsman Homes and you have a washing machine and a dryer and clothes um, uh, and everything because everything was in the, quote, catalog. Sounds like Amazon, the, the essentially the brick-and-mortar version of Amazon. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Sears says we have to expand our model a little bit, so we're going to put up these massive stores everywhere Um, to essentially have brick and mortar where people could walk into. What's Amazon doing right now? We're going to essentially have stores. They're not that big, but their distribution centers are compared to the retail stores. Now, I'm not predicting anything. I, I... my philosophy of, of investment has been very bad. Uh, my track record in investing is I buy high and sell low. So I'm not suggesting anything about Amazon, but they're following the same model. And we have to remember essentially what has happened to Sears, unfortunately. Is Amazon going to follow that same path? If you look at a recent article that uh, Jeff Bezos put together, the, the chairman of, and the CEO of Amazon, they said Amazon will eventually go out of business. I, I didn't say it's going to be an hour or not. This is not my statement. It's his statement you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's out there. Fascinating, once again, fascinating thing that we're looking at. What about banking? Ally Bank. Ally Bank has no retail sites. It's all electronic. They own no brick and mortar. Fascinating, isn't it? Is that the model? What about this example for you? The travel sites, whether it's Expedia or Travelocity or one of those sites. What are they doing? Bridal registry. What do you want to to call something else? Matchmaking service. Those types of things. All internet-related companies. Not information age. Internet-related companies. They don't own any any airplanes. They don't own uh, only hotels. Once again, matchmaking organization that's out there. And, of course, the one that drives me crazy, amongst other reasons, Facebook, that's out there. No content. Once again, the content they have is yours. I want to stress this again. You are giving them content. They own nothing. It doesn't mean that they can't use it because everybody signs that I agree statement that's out there. But no content. Okay, It's a very popular company, obviously, and a lot of people use it. The same thing, by the way, would be true for Instagram or 
Yahoo or all those other you know, t- types of organizations that are out there. There's nothing uh, specific about uh, them. And of course, Google. Okay. One of the largest, quote, software vendors. A little strange when I say it that way. But what are they actually providing? I want to stress this here, and I do mean it. It's a popularity contest engine. It's not really a true search engine. And that's a topic for another broadcast that's there. So we have to recognize what's out there and what the technology behind these situations are. And then, of course, same thing as Facebook, Instagram. Really no content, but lots of pictures that people put out there, and there's various uses to that. And just two more to give you an idea of what's going on, Netflix. Now, it's essentially a movie distribution site. That's the way they started out. And if some of you have heard lately, Disney has told them, see ya. (laughs) And what Disney has said is essentially, we're going to set up our own pipe, because that's really what we're talking about. It's a pipeline. And using the oil analogy, if, you're not, if you don't have, own the oil, then you're vulnerable for the, to the people that own the oil. Because they can say, that's a little bit easier in the cyber world, they can say, you know what, I'm going to build my own pipeline. And I'm going to put my own content in there. And I'm going to let the customer, you and I, figure out what the best source of pipe is. But I'm going to give you the best possible content because I own it and I'm going to make sure it runs through this pipe better than anybody else. Now, we'll see how all this sorts out because, I said, as I said, we're just moving into the information age. My final example is essentially a communications organization. I'd love to call it a telephone company, but some of you probably don't even know what real telephones look like anymore, (laughs) but it would be uh, uh, WhatsApp or Skype are probably the most common or WeChat or one of those things that are there. And by the way, I'm using this media to talk to you right now. So what we have to recognize is what the internet age has done. The internet age has done is provide us with essentially a pipe, a pipe. And that's the internet age. And the pipe allowed two things to occur. And that was essentially distance and time. Distance and time almost collapsed to zero, which dramatically changed the game, dramatically changed the game out there. And that's essentially uh, what we have to, uh, to, to, to recognize you know, as we, um, um, you know, look at it. Now, one more comment, essentially, that, that's, uh, that we have to recognize before we get into potential solutions that are based on centuries of history, by the way, as you'll see. So we have to also recognize that the things on the Internet, and there's a lots of different phrases out there, but let me throw some of them out there. The things on the internet are not vetted. We don't know if they're correct or not. What's on the internet is published stuff. And as far as I know, that is intellectual property. And if any of you are in the intellectual property business, whether you sell songs or you sell consulting services 
or you sell anything that is not as a physical product, you know what I'm talking about is intellectual property. And none of you are going to put that out on the internet for free because that's the way you make money. As Taylor Swift once famously told Tim Cook at Apple, when Apple was coming out with their music service, Mr. Cook, we don't ask you for free iPhones. Please don't ask us for our music for free. Again, intellectual property, you know, that's out there. So we have to recognize is that the Internet, while we think it's a source of information, I carefully didn't use the word a good source of information because, unfortunately, anybody can write anything about anything. On a positive side, I'm going to use the same phrase. Anybody can write anything about anything. As we start looking at this, some of the dangers start popping out. In an article I read recently, it says, Social media influencers give bad diet and fitness advice eight times out of nine researchers reveal. (laughs) Eight times out of nine, the advice is bad. This is essentially a worldwide study, um, essentially, of nine different influencers in the world of fitness and weight management provided inaccurate and dangerous information. And these are some of the most popular influencers, you know, that are out there. So how do we know? And by the way, it's a question. It's a tough question. How do we know what's correct and incorrect out there? This, this is a mess right now when we think about it. And part of it has to do with the underlying structure, you know, of, of the uh, uh, inter- Internet, you know, that's out there. But as we're seeing, essentially some of this is affecting us today, whether it's the Baltimore hacking or whether it's the uh, uh, mortgage data that's not out there. Uh, you know, essentially, uh, in a, uh, there was an article published about some of this uh, uh, advice about fitness and, and nutrition. Um, and there's a, this uh, person named Tam Fay, who's the chairman of the National Obesity Forum, and Forum, says that this study adds the evidence of the destructive power of social media. And as Tam goes on, any Tom, Dick, or Harry can take to the ether, post whatever they like, and be believed by their followers because it sounds good. Wouldn't it be nice to know that the most healthy thing in the world for breakfast is going to be chocolate cake with chocolate frosting? Uh, I think that'd be great. You know, it has eggs and it has flour and it has water in it. How bad could it possibly be? Oh, I forgot about the sugar, et cetera, et cetera. So we're in, again, this transition area. And it's moving from the Internet age to the information age. And it's something that we have to recognize. And what we're going to find out is that we're not the first ones to face this situation of massive change, massive destruction in what we used to know and what we used to see. And what we're going to be talking about in the next segment is the concept of change in an environment like we're talking about now in the digital age, the information age that's out there, and some ways to address the massive amount of change that's out there in a structured 
engineered manner without regard to all the hype meisters that are out there. These techniques, as you'll see, are based on virtually everything that you and I do and see except for technology. So our whole premise is if most of our daily lives have been organized around a series of principles, approaches, and methods, and now we have this new thing called technology, which in its, in, in its infancy, perhaps that we can learn something from hundreds of years of history and move that forward into the information age. And so this is the premise. It's not, I'm not inventing anything new. I studied history out there and saw how different organizations matured and said, is some of this applicable to essentially the information age? Not all of it is, not all of it was, but an incredible amount, especially around the concept of change and the speed of change was a direct correlatable activity with what we were doing in the past. And so what we're going to be talking about when we come back from our short break, essentially, is the analogies of looking at change in the physical world and how, essentially, we can do that in the information age world. And also, how do you speed up change to address all the changing activities that are out there to get away from all of this hacking and craziness that's out there? There is a path. But the path is a little bit different than most people are comfortable with. So with that, we're going to take a short break once again. This is Sam Holzman. You're listening to the 2020s Enterprise, and the topic is continuous change and digital transformation. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to our third segment today. We're talking about essentially the changes that are going on as we go into the information age 
and the concept of continuous change as a model that you and I are facing, whether it's in business or in our personal lives, and the way to address this concept of continuous change, and on top of that, the world of digitization. So if we spend a moment and we look at things outside of technology, we can learn a heck of a lot. We can learn a heck of a lot. And when when you went out in the early 70s to do this research, and that's when we started this research in 1972, um, we were looking essentially at the concepts of how, in in that age, of course, physical things were able to change. How, How did essentially the phrase flexible manufacturing occur? How could people make two-door, automobile companies make two-door vehicles and four-door vehicles and convertibles and sedans and all these other things? Um, How did that all happen and at a price point that was somewhat affordable? When I say somewhat affordable, I I know there's different economic situations out there. But how did they do this? How did they build this, do this essentially manufacturing area? And so we started studying how you could actually have change going on. How how do you change something? And we were shocked to find out that there were fundamentally three ways to change a physical object. And from that, we postulated that we can use that same understanding for business, for enterprises, for human change, and of course, in the age right now, digital change that's out there. And so when we started looking at this, we found out, as said, to our surprise, there were only three ways to change a physical object. Again, the analogy, once we understand that, can we essentially move that analogy into the uh, technology world that we're in? And the first approach to change, we call go for it and see what happens. <laughs> okay? And all of us do this. In other words, we look at the risk and reward factor and we say, yep, Yeah, this isn't a real problem. It's a risk that we're going to take in this particular environment, you know, that's out there. And we all do it. We all calculate those those things that are out there. So we all know that if we're going to change an electrical plug, we should probably turn off the circuit breaker first. That makes a lot of sense before we start messing with the the electrical stuff. But some of us say, you know what? (sighs) Boy. You know, the circuit breakers downstairs in the basement, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty careful. I'm going to be pretty careful here, and I know I can take this thing out, <laughs> you know, that's out there. And you essentially calculate mentally the risk of making that change versus doing what you probably know you should. But we all have those situations, and we call that the go-for-it approach to change. High risk, low reliability, change by trial and error. Wow. The second approach to change shouldn't surprise all of you, but it's kind of harsh. And that is throw it away and start all over again. What do you mean? Well, everything has a useful life. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, me, <laughs> I hope I'm not done yet. The computer systems, the internet, organizations, companies, PCs, telephones, everything has essentially a useful life. And so one approach to change is you throw it away and start all over again. And now we're seeing essentially the consequences of that approach as you're hearing now the environmental impact of some of this approach to change, you know, that's out there. And I do want to make a sort of a comment here. And one of the things we're, we're seeing right now uh, domestically here in the U.S. is this concept of plastic being an issue. 
and all these companies are going out there and saying, uh, uh, we're going to get rid of plastic straws. And I have nothing against, and I have nothing uh, to say bad about the Starbucks company. But they've decided they're going to replace their plastic straws by a different top uh, that's out there. Um, and uh, essentially, it turns out that that different top has more plastic in it than the actual straw. But it makes people feel good. It's the feel-good approach to change. I didn't even talk about the feel-good approach because it's nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. It doesn't get us anywhere. It gets us political points, you know. But you know that's you know that's about it. Or the other approach to throw it away and start all over again when we see something. Don't change it. Don't touch it. If you change it one more time, we're not going to be able to fix it. You know that's out there. So that's an issue too. Throw it away and start all over again. Let's remember here where we are. Remember, there's only three approaches to change. One is go for it and see what happens. High risk, low reliability by change by trial and error. Well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Approach number two, throw it away and start all over again. That means scrapping it. Think about that for a moment in industry. What is that called? It's called bankruptcy. Okay? Scrapping it. Bankruptcy. And... Some of you know that uh, uh, my background is from, you know, the Detroit area, and there's a famous phrase by uh, one of the General Motors uh, chief executive officers quite some time ago, Roger Smith. His statement was, as GM goes, so goes the country. Well, unfortunately, you know what happened. The GM did go bankrupt. And what's even more startling is the city of Detroit went bankrupt. How can a city go bankrupt? What does that mean? Throw it away and start all over? What does that mean to society? What does it mean to the... The citizenry out there, how do you react to it? Cleaning the books, is that going to do anything? Bringing back the zero debt? Well, of course not. Look at the city right now. It's going through a tremendous revival, and I'm thrilled because I'm still a resident. I love the, the Detroit area. Don't get me wrong. But you, you can't just snap your fingers and say, okay, we're going to run zero debt down there, and then everything's going to be okay because the fundamental activities are the same. The land mass is the same. The number of pipes are the same. The number of sewer lines are the same. The number of roads are the same. The number of uh, light poles are the same. You can't just snap your finger. It is a fundamental way that we got to rethink this whole thing. And these are just physical examples of these. So approach number one, go for it. Approach number two, throw it away and start all over again. What is approach number three? It's the concept of reverse engineering and then changing it. That is the, the approach that you can take, essentially, and assure that the change that you make has a high degree of probability and possibility of actually happening. But there's two key words. One is reverse, and the other is engineer. And let me start with engineer first. In order to have reverse engineering... You have to have had the thing engineered in the first place. And ladies and gentlemen, the internet was never engineered. It evolved over time. There is no baseline for addressing and managing change. And let me go further. If your enterprise, if your business does not have a baseline for addressing and managing change, you can't reverse engineer it. Now, what is reverse engineering in the physical world that actually works? You actually change the drawings, test the changes on a drawing. I'll use the phrase a piece of paper. It could be an electronic piece of paper. You change the drawings, and then you change the physical object. 
You have an as-is state. You have a desired state. You have a change kit. You have a pathway, a roadmap to make that change. And that is reverse engineering and change it. But it requires an engineering, quote, discipline, unquote, a baseline for addressing and managing change. So how do you change a building? Very carefully. How do you change a 100-story building? Let's take the windows out of the 70th floor. I'm sure it's not going to affect anything. Are you kidding me? (laughs) How do you change an airplane? Now, this is kind of a tough time to talk about airplane changes with the things that are going on in the world of the 737 MAX. And I don't know the exact uh, activities that will essentially address this, but you can imagine they're using a set of engineering drawings to figure out what went wrong. And yes, there could be human interactions that have caused some of these issues. We know that. Now, how do you change a personal computer? <laughs> well, it's the company's PC. We just go for it and see what happens. If it's our own PC, it's a whole different story. And of course, how do you change a computer system that you're using to try to make sure that it's not hacked? You've got two choices, ladies and gentlemen. Go for it and see what happens or throw it away and start all over again. You can't reverse engineer it because there's no baseline for addressing change in 99% of the computer systems that we've seen since 1972. I didn't say 1%, but virtually none of them are using this, these types of principles that are, you know, that are out there. So coming full circle, let's assume for a second that you recognize this. And then you want to look at the speed of change. How do you address the speed of change that's out there? Well, one of the misconceptions that we see out there in the world of digitization is that, Sam, you know, everybody knows you're old. You got white hair and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, in the olden days, things didn't change very much. But now, man, change is really, really fast. You just don't get it. Well, I think I do get it. It's not the speed of change that is the issue. The issue is we didn't build things to recognize, to recognize that the item that we built is going to go through change, and that is part of the DNA of the way that we approach essentially building the product. And the phrase that is used is called assemble to order, assemble to order, not handcrafting. If you hear the phrase agile programming or package software, those are industrial age concepts, assemble to order. And let me give you a quick example of what assemble to order is as the analogy. Let's say you approach a salad bar and in the salad bar, There's 16 containers. There's a romaine lettuce, there's iceberg lettuce, there's radishes, there's tomatoes. You know what I'm talking about. 16 elements that are out there. Each one of those elements have been tested and is pure, et cetera, et cetera. They are the highest quality that you can come up with, number one. By the way, if you don't have that, it still works in the analogy, but I don't want to talk about bad salads. Got 16 containers. How many different types of containers, excuse me, different salads can you make? 23 million. The concept of assemble to order that is architected, it's what referred to as the information age approach to addressing this. 
you have high quality ingredients, high quality elements that are assembled when you need them. And the phrase that I want to leave you with is it's mass customization in quantities of one. You and your neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor do not have to have the same item. And on top of that, you're working from an elemental base that has been vetted, that has quality, that performs one element. Romaine lettuce is romaine lettuce is romaine lettuce. Tomatoes are tomatoes are tomatoes. And we can essentially assemble to order. Our lives are in that area except for technology. And technology has to catch up. Walk into a grocery store, assemble to order. The green bean cans are sitting next to corn. A dairy section is somewhere else. Walk into a Home Depot or a Lowe's. You've separated the lumber from the windows, from the doors, from the paint, from the shingles. Assemble to order. This is the concept. This is the concept that we're looking at. In the digital age, in the age of continuous improvement, we have got to move away from hand crafting. Hand crafting, whether it's the phrase agile programming or software, whatever you want to call it, solutions, those are the issue. And that is the underlying issue that we see now being manifested because we're handcrafting things in an information age where the hackers only have to find one flaw in those ingredients because they're all mushed together. They're working with salads, not working with the elements. And essentially, that's the issue that we're seeing. So on that happy note, I want to leave you with this path. There is a way to address continuous change in the digitization world, and it's called Assemble to Order based on architecture. Thank you for listening. We'd be more than happy to get your comments at sam at eacoe.org, sam at eacoe.org. Thanks for listening. We appreciate all comments, and we'll see you next time. This is Sam Holzman, 2020's Enterprise. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020s Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holzman, again for another edition of our program next Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then. 